Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter. And today's show is on the state of Minnesota cancer plan. But I'm only guessing that all the different objectives that we're going to be talking about for this particular state plan is appropriate for many of the other states in in the country as well. We'll also link some of our discussion with Healthy People 2030 to see how we here connect with the plans and objectives for the nation as a whole. So stay tuned in one second. We'll introduce our illustrious guests. We've got a great crew that really does super duper work um, in the background for us. Uh, we have our researchers that include Maddie Levine-Wolf, Aaron Collins, Deandra Howard, and Sheridan Nygaard. Sheridan also does some marketing work for us. And then our math, um, our our production person is Matthew Campbell, who gets our shows out almost on a weekly basis now. So it's been great. This is our, I believe it's close to our 70th show. So it's uh, it's been a, a good, good run. Clarence Jones is my, my co-host with me on this show. And uh, it's it's been a wonderful venture. He provides some incredible insights from a uh, community perspective and um, greatly, greatly appreciated. So Clarence, thanks for being with us. And then also Human Partnership is our our sponsor for these uh, these great shows, a community health organization that's involved in a lot of different issues around uh, health for all of us, for all of us. You can check them out at humanpartnership.org. So thanks to everybody. So today, like I said, we're gonna be talking about a cancer plan, the, tw the 2025 cancer plan. 2025, man. 2025, did I, what did I say? 2025 cancer plan. And, um, Today we have Dr. Sumeda Penheider from the Mayo Clinic with us. And she, she's got an illustrious background here. Uh, she's done her postdoctoral work at Mayo Clinic and has her doctoral degree in biochemistry and genetics. She um, has currently works as a manager and consultant with the, with the Mayo Clinic in their, their strategy department where she advises on strategies for systems and procedures for clinical practice optimization and enhancement. It's it's interesting. My daughter in in Boston works at in in that area at the uh, in 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 cancer actually. Um, also, she's is involved a lot with health equity, which also overlaps with a lot of the different objectives in in the uh, the state plan. So thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. By the way, she also serves as the vice chair of the Minnesota Cancer Alliance, which frankly was involved in developing this, this plan that we're going to be talking about today. So thank you very, very much. So let's get this show going here. Let's talk about the um, answer in in general um you know from your your perspective sumeda um cancer obviously is one of the major chronic diseases that we're we're facing in in the country 
ironically and, and maybe sadly, in, in the state of Minnesota, cancer is the number one cause of death, okay, in Minnesota. Not in, in, in most other states in the country, it's, it's second behind cardiovascular disease, heart disease and stroke. So you want to comment on that a little bit? Um, I think that the reason being is that we have great health inequities in our state. And a lot of those numbers are skewed a little um, primarily because um, we have high rates of incidence and mortality, not in total number, but rates in tribal areas. And um, we also have a lot of underserved populations that are so disproportionately impacted by this that the numbers overall are skewed. Um, and, and therefore, I think cancer is the number one cause of uh, death in, the United, in, in Minnesota. However, I also think that our state has spent a lot of energy and time uh, in controlling cardiovascular diseases and, and also investing in efforts to prevent cardiovascular diseases, bringing awareness to those. But that level of um, engagement is still uh, lacking in the cancer space, especially in the preventive and early detection areas. Uh, a lot of work is done uh, post-diagnosis in uh, treatment and then survivorship. And sometimes that is um, too late. And so I think those are a couple factors that I can think of right away that are contributing to cancer being the number one cause in, in Minnesota versus the rest of the state. So let, so let me ask you as a follow-up to that, is that, do you think that's unique for Minnesota or do you think that the, the similar problems as far as cancer reporting exist in, in other states as well? Well, I think, I think that there's great inequities in cancer incidence and mortality inequities, and mm -hmm. they are around uh, race, ethnicity, and other underserved populations in along ability, disability. Um, I, I think it's a two-edged sword. I think Minnesota has, is, a, is a very health-conscious state. So I think compared to other states, we have a lot of efforts on um, health fitness in general, which has lowered our cardiac uh, death rates compared to other states. Uh, so it's, it's, it's that we're doing really well in that space or we continue to do well in the space of cardiac uh, health. So we are ahead of other states, but then we don't, we don't have that level of matching efforts yet or even understanding because ca cancer is a very complex disease and it yeah. spans all the way from etiology to prevention, detection, treatment, so I think one is there's just not enough understanding um, of the disease amongst common people. And two, the methods that are in place vigorously for cardiac disease, you know, such as getting your parameters checked, cholesterol and, 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 and your BMI, and also making sure that exercise is part of your early, early lifestyle the same level of um, awareness and intention is not there in the cancer space to the same degree. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then a quick one, and then Clarence, you can chime in here. Um, 
do we link our efforts that you know of, you know, even our statewide efforts that we'll get into in a, in a second here with other with other groups around the country, like like for instance, I'd mentioned like my daughter, she works at Dana Farber Cancer Institute in in Boston. So do we do we cross over with any of their initiatives at all, or or look at data together, or is it really more state by state from what you can what you know? Well, we definitely get ideas on how to design and implement the cancer plan. Um, across based on other states. However, mm -hmm. the emphasis here is to really focus on local Minnesota problems um, because of the fact that there is quite a bit of differences between states in terms of local burden. And even within the state of Minnesota, we're trying to be very mindful of identifying regional burdens um, of cancer, for instance, like I said, on tri tribal land versus uh, urban communities versus rural communities yeah. and understanding that the cancer burden is different. So although we definitely get implementation and design ideas from other states, CDC does a really good job of Center for Di uh, Disease Control does a really good job of making sure that there's data available uh, openly for all of us to examine uh, what the cancer burdens are per state. And we are aware of that. So we do contact other states for tactics. There are meetings that MDH attends with other uh, state cancer plan uh, uh, committees. Uh, the goal is really to get ideas from them, but to focus on the local burden. Yeah, gotcha. Claire, go ahead. Dr. Samia, you spoke to, uh, in your previous uh, conversation a lot of times about the lack of awareness and uh, among groups of people. Could you talk about this plan and how does it it, it plan to, to address that? I mean, are people not aware or is there a, a strategy for that, for communicating more effectively with people to make them more aware of the, the, the risk of cancer? So this plan uh, is, is actually a, the genesis of this plan is a lot of listening sessions, data review of cancer burden, and then concerns of the community. And Minnesota Cancer Alliance has a very robust partnership of members across the state that act as amplifiers of our um, information as well as information in and information out. So the way this is done is trying to reach communities at the grassroots levels to the most uh, extent possible and ensuring that not only are we looking at the data, but looking at logistics and practical tactics that either prevent uh, early detection and screening or eventual um, cure and the process of cure. So we even help with legal insurance we help with legal tactics, with making sure that some of um, the screens as well as treatments are covered by insurance and are legislatively uh, impacting um, the insurance companies so that they are uh, they're, they're enforced almost to cover some of the costs occurring with diagnostics as well as treatment. So I think the way that we are addressing this is Again, going to grassroots level, looking at burdens, 
and, and then forming our strategies. So it's never in isolation or vacuum. It's always done in, in, in concert with the community members and the members that are part of the Alliance. So, you know, um, a few shows back, we had um, Matt Flory on the show and he was, he was talking about um, cancer screening. And I, and I noticed as I reviewed, reviewed the plan, some of the objectives really focus in on, on screening, whether it be for breast, cervical, colorectal um, cancer, lung cancer screening, et cetera. So um, talk to me about screening from an from objective standpoint, and then perhaps we can apply this to many of the objectives here. You're, you're eight years into this plan already, okay? So how are we doing? So let's talk about screening, first of all. Go ahead. So as you mentioned, we do focused on, we do focus on breast, cervical, and colorectal cancer screening. Uh, I want to point out that things that are in the objectives can only go so far unless they are adopted into policy. They really don't continue long-term and they are not sustainable. And so yeah. to that, but well, we have a very robust policy committee within the Alliance that has gone and um, lobbied at the state level with the senators and, and tried to tie almost every initiative with a policy so that it can actually be, you know, long-term sustainable and come to fruition. So. We have done significant work in that space. Uh, for instance, we have made sure that the cost for sharing for best the cost sharing part of you know insurance that insurance charges for breast cancer diagnostic testing is removed. We have um, also recently worked hard to have biomarker testing, which would be biomarkers that could lead to understanding of early cancer that is not symptomatic yet or very early symptoms. Um, we have made sure that those are covered by state regulated insurers. So we have done some efforts in that space through policy. Um, in addition, we have also gone uh, through things like mobile mammography units and a lot of awareness in that space into rural, area, rural areas. We, we actually use funding mechanisms through the Alliance where we fund our partners and community members to amplify the work around these objectives. So we have done significant amounts in each space in terms of we've created a community health work at program where we talk about insurance, again, covering community health worker charges so that they can be navigators within the system to talk about screening and detection and awareness at an early stage with the communities. So it's a multi-pronged approach. Um, and, and you know, while I do talk about dete early detection, I want to say that we followed the whole spectrum from detection, but then, you know, a lot of people are in, in the treatment phase and the survivorship phase. So we also support them in that space. But early detection, this, this is an ever-evolving, innovative space. You have people that can be family or genetically predisposed to cancer that are shoo-in for early screening, but then there's a lot that do not have familial history and yet could develop some of these cancers. So 
the idea is to do early screening based on a variety of techniques, one of which is um, genetic testing or genetic screening um, and, and several others uh, like diagnostics, like breast um, exams uh, and just going into communities and removing the hesitation and cultural nuances that are around testing um, and, and, and encouraging them to take care of their health. Yes, yeah, so Dr. Samir, you talked a little bit about, about challenges. Uh, there's always the rural versus urban uh, uh, strategy. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Because were the, were the challenges the same or uh, did, was, was there a special strategy that had to be developed for each, for each uh, group, for the rural versus the urban? Well, I think um, from what I understand is that there are some common denominators across sure. the board, but there's also unique, unique factors. Uh, starting with urban, I think I can point out that there's a lot more access in 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 the areas of urban um, urban clinics. Sure. However, um, I feel that there's still, you know, depending on what city you live in, uh, it, transportation can still be a barrier. And in urban areas, people are working, um, you know, some cases round the clock. So making time for health appointments and coming in um, to get their screening done. And a lot of efforts are in clinical trial space to address and understand cancer and provide state-of-the-art thera uh, therapeutics to make sure that cancers are cured if they are indeed occurring. And, and there's just that that um, social determinants of health are much more com complex in urban areas, although they exist in rural areas as well, but they're different. Mm -hmm. And so the complexity of the social determinants of health um, with um, and additional factors that contribute to risk of cancer, such as environment and pollution, definitely add to that um, burden. So I think the strategy has to be different, again, based on the cancer burden, which is different, but also the social determinants of health, which vary between rural and urban areas. And um, in rural areas, um, access is a concern. Um, a lot of rural communities have to drive for miles before they can come to uh, a place where they can see um, a, a physician or get you know, treatment. And in that, we've worked hard to establish pilot hubs in the in the rural areas to the Minnesota Clinical Cancer Trial Network mm -hmm. to have um, some of these clinical trials um, uh, available in some of the smaller communities within greater Minnesota. Um, so there's different factors and different uh, social determinants of health, although they exist in both. They just the strategy to address them are different based on what they are. There's more food insecurity in urban areas. There's more, um, you know, inability to walk and get exercise because obesity does help just lead to cancer occurrence. There's, um, there's just not as much um, available, even though there is a lot of money in terms of the underserved communities being able to access clean trails, 
uh, to be able to walk to school, to be able to, I mean, just the, the difficult gap between neighborhoods is immense. Um, yeah. and okay. So, so, so let, I, me, let, me, let me connect a little bit here. So we just got done a couple of weeks ago doing a, a similar show in the um, cardiovascular arena. And they just finished the development of their new plan, 2023 to 20 or 2035, I think. Okay. So this particular plan was developed in 2015. And um, I, I'm just curious with the cardiovascular uh, side of the equation, th this, their plan really focuses on um, community engagement, mm -hmm. okay? So was that part of the, the, perhaps you can recall, was that part of the psyche putting together the, the plan for cancer or it has community engagement as far as the objectives for this plan become more of a thing that's happening today than it did back in 2015. Do you recall it all? Um, like I shared, you know, we're kind of using the same playbook with some modifications for the new cancer plan that we're formulating. And it was very much based on listening sessions. We call them listening sessions. Ah, okay. Yeah. That were at the grassroots level um, to understand the burden. But in addition, um, we fund a lot of grants through the strategy action group is what we call them, where we target uh, any time uh, we, we have an initiative, we need to make sure that there's community engagement and community involvement. And always, always a community partner as a co-partner if, if possible. So that's kind of our strategy that we adopt to make sure there's community engagement. Um, like I shared, you know, we worked on legislation to get a grant funded for community health workers. We worked with the community health workers organizations in Minnesota very closely to ensure that their work would be covered um, and paid for. So community is definitely the, the center of our work. Yeah. And I can okay. I can vouch for Go that. Ahead. I want to just say I, I can vouch for that. I was uh, involved with the uh, uh, the alliance, and uh, there was a, a definitely a, a community uh, engagement aspect of it. So it was great. Uh, yeah, which is which is you know why we're glad that uh, Dr. Uh, Samaya is here to talk about that. Yeah, great. So you know a lot. There's like nineteen ob objectives in in the plan that I that I see. And um, a bunch of them focus on prevention. So, and you know, maybe we can kind of encapsulate them all because I'm sure they all have some kind of a risk factor aspect to it. But you know, like tobacco, um, obesity, um, vaccinations, uh, radon, um, sunburn, and inboar tanning salons. Um, Etc. So, can you kind of encapsulate? I guess the best is the best way of saying this: uh, the prevention-oriented objectives and how it is that the plan hopes to engage the public more in prevention. 
Um, I think I, I would like to say that when the cancer plan is formed, uh, there is definitely the burden mm -hmm. and the local burden, but also to understand that we rely heavily on our partners. So the feasibility is, is definitely an aspect of what we end up doing in the sense that we are relying heavily on our extended partners and somewhat on MDH to help us with the initiatives that we form. So a lot of times it seems that whatever the interest of our steering committee members, as well as our partners are, is what we solicit um, to, to advance certain initiatives. So I feel that it's very, it's, this is a multifactorial issue when you say prevention, it's hard to know what prevention should look like if you don't have data. And so yeah. we have focused highly uh, on, on getting accurate data, current data, and making sure that a recent win in the legislative efforts was to make sure that the data that Minnesota collects is now linked to other cancer plans as well as to the CDC. And that was something that we requested through the legislature and it was a, a win for us. So. You know, accurate data is one. And we've funded a lot of grants, strategy action grants around breast, cervical, and colorectal cancer screening. Mm -hmm. Our, um, we always have had um, patient survivors, uh, advocacy groups, and, and, and coalition leaders as part of our members who have gone and brought our message forward, as well as helped um, bring in the needs of the state and overall the cancer in concern. We have also worked um, with the Lung Cancer Screening Task Force that was established. Um, and so in addition to screening, you know, the tactical aspect of the, the technical aspect of screening, there's a lot of information that or support that needs to be provided before and after. So we worked in a lot of those support services as well, where we hosted uh, support center events for patients and their families. And we created these pink shawls um, for the American Indians, women that were diagnosed with cancer. Um, and, and so, so it's, it's, it's very multifactorial and doesn't just target the actual screening part as such. Um, yeah. You know, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I can't help but think that um, for most people, um, it's a major shock when you are diagnosed with cancer. I mean, it's just like, True. you know, if all of a sudden somebody, you know, a healthcare provider says, unfortunately you have cancer, whatever cancer it may be. And I was struck by the objectives that that focus on help or assistance, like um, support services or patient navigation or uh, financial and legal burdens, those 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 types of things. So can can you touch on that a little bit to to help people who are all of a sudden they they they're recently diagnosed with it or they're in the midst of it i'm impressed frankly by the by the objectives that focus on assistance 
Well, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, there's there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of efforts in place to get the screening part done. Right. So, um, and and a lot of federally qualified health centers offer screening now. But the thing is, what next if you do end up positive? Right. There, there has to be this medical neighborhood that exists or the support system that follows through um, with a patient that doesn't have resources or awareness once they are diagnosed with cancer. And, and that's where, you know, the mortality and morbidity rates become a concern. And so we realize that while the medical centers are still on top of screening somewhat because of the HEDIS or their, their, their reporting requirements, because that impacts their overall status as health centers. Um, the space that was lacking was really the support. And, and a lot of people, for instance, in some cultures, in the Indian country, the word cancer is taboo. And, and, and there's so many cultural nuances in the Hispanic community where it's very fake fatalistic and left to God, and, and you always discuss things as a family versus alone. So there's a lot of cultural nuances that are not as straightforward as you would think in, uh, in addressing cancer um, post-diagnosis. So a navigator is someone who helps this patient who really may not be part of the mainstream care on a regular basis to then understand what the next steps would be and to make sure that they get the kind of uh, support that they need in terms of childcare if needed or transportation, like again, the social determinants of health, but also a familiar person that they can trust because trust in the medical system is, is low overall. And with that, um, this is someone that's familiar, that speaks their language at their level, can spend a lot of time with them. So navigators in that space and community health workers are, are just instrumental in, in making sure that this patient doesn't feel lost. There's genetic, there's also always counseling. It. I know at the Mayo Clinic, once you're diagnosed with cancer, there's regular counseling for the family to be prepared for what lies ahead. So diagnosis um, is and treatment is one aspect, but the the social emotional aspect of cancer, like you shared, is so shocking, mm -hmm. uh, and and it can be so overwhelming that um, we feel that we are not we're letting our cancer patients down if we're not also focusing on the support and the legal aspect of things. Yeah, yeah, Clarence. Yes, well, Dr. Samia. Um, so you know this is health chatter, so I'm going to ask you a very a very chattery chatter chatter question. What's been the biggest challenge with this plan? I mean, you know, you've been, I mean, you've got some, you got, you've got all these, you got 90 strategies. You know, I think <laughs> you got 90 strategies. You got, you've got uh, uh, a lot of focuses. What's been the biggest challenge with this plan? Uh, so, from what I understand, the challenges has been we've tried to have so many objectives and tactics so that we can indicate the state's interest in this area. Um, and, and I think a lot of times some agencies and uh, nonprofit agencies or, or some health agencies can use this plan as a platform for justification for applying for subsequent grants. 
in saying that they align with the state plan. So we've tried to be very broad and inclusive to allow for those small groups that want to focus on a certain aspect of this plan. The challenge has been, as you said, it's very broad and 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 again, COVID didn't help. You know, we we lost about five years in this mix um, with COVID, where we were really slowed down. So I I think. I think the understanding is that we are going to continue to kind of streamline our efforts based on, as we're developing the plan, reaching out to our partners, to ensure that there's commitment at the level that we that is required to, to carry out a plan in action and also resources in place. So that the biggest challenge really has been in that space um, where we, we, we just have not had enough resources in terms of human resources to amplify some of the work. Um, so I think I think that that is really the crux of it is the feasibility of it. But I would say there have been successes as well. We've worked aggressively in like the HPV cancer space and really addressed inequities. Um, we have a uh, a health equity network group, a cancer health equity network group that works very closely with us and, and has a lot of health equity focused um, objectives. And um, so, you know, instead of focusing on one aspect per se, we've really gone through and all used the inequity uh, as an underlying theme to address a lot of cancers. And so I think that the challenge has been, you know, going from just individual organ focused, really understanding a common health equity theme, which we have overcome successfully now, but it was difficult during the times of COVID. Um, so just, you know, and also the support um, from agencies and lobbying agencies, our policy network has done a lot of work to lobby for some of those things. Um, so it, you know, once once they are in policy, it's been a lot easier. So without policy work, some things have not advanced as much as you would think. So, so those are the general challenges that I can. Did I address your question correctly? You, you know, one one thing that I've I've I noticed because I've been involved in 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 creating plans. You know, these big all encompassing plans. And um, you don't want to forget something. That's one thing, you know, no matter how complicated the, uh, in this case, the chronic disease might be, you don't want to forget some aspect of it. And so you're always assessing and reassessing in the development of mm -hmm. the plan. One thing that, that um, we, we had uh, Dr. Nico Prague from, from Health Partners on, who was the, uh, the co-chair in the development of the Healthy People 2030 objectives for the nation that were developed basically in, in 2020, okay? And so this, this particular plan, this state plan in cancer was already five years into it, even though there was kind of a, shall we say, a holding pattern on, on many of the, the objectives given uh, COVID and what COVID did for a lot of the public health oriented things. So let me ask you, um, when when you developed the uh, the 2015 plan, 
was there a connection made with Healthy People 2020 to see if there was overlap between the objectives that you're developing and the objectives for the nation? So there's some sinking going on. I think we looked at a variety of resources. And I'm, I, I, although I was not on the leadership team at the time, mm-hmm. I, I, I am almost certain that we did, you know, we, we did follow a lot of guidelines and Healthy People 2020 must have been one of them as well. Um, yeah. I, I can imagine that, I can't imagine that not being a, a resource that we, so we, we solicited help from a lot of resources and information. And then ultimately we, you know, vetted with the communities and those that are going to actually do the work to see what's most feasible and, and what speaks to them. Because um, if it is not addressing the local burden and if it has not got the engagement of our partners, it's not going to go anywhere. So long story, you know, the, the crux of it is yes, I'm sure we looked at healthy people. We've looked at many other parameters. There's a Minnesota community measurement resource. There's a variety of resources that uh, establish uh, many things around um, cancer burden, cure, treatment, availability, access, you know, community resources. So it's a, it's a composite picture. I know your minus doesn't seem straightforward, but what I, I'm saying is it probably was one of the resources. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it will be going going forward right. in the in the in the development of uh, of a new plan. So um, talk to us a little bit about the um, the Minnesota Cancer Alliance overall. You know who who are who's part of that? Um, what's their their particular goal, et cetera, as it relates to uh, the plan itself? So the Minnesota Cancer Alliance um, is is actually um, an organization that's formed in partnership with uh, the Minnesota Department of Health, uh, and it's a result of the new CDC requirement that all states receiving cancer funding must have a state plan and and should be done independent of um, of the of the guide, independence of the guidance of MDA, direct guidance, and really be uh, an outcome of public awareness, public concerns, and and public needs. And so the the main purpose of the Minnesota Cancer Alliance is really to form this cancer plan independently in collaboration with the community and and focus on the, the spectrum from etiology to detection, um, to cure, and and then then you know palliative care or, or survivorship. So um, I feel the alliance is 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 an organic evolution. It was initiated around the cancer plan, but it is a lot of advocates as well as institutions, health institutions, advocacy institutions, all gathered together to help reduce the burden of cancer across the state of Minnesota. So, it, you know, it's, it's interesting that you you say how CDC um, requires it as far as, as as a grant to develop, to have, first of all, have an alliance 
And then second of all, to develop a plan. It's interesting in the cardiovascular arena, they did that, they required that as well for years. And then most recently, they did not require it. But it was interesting because we had a cardiovascular alliance and um, we asked the very question, well, should we continue doing a plan, making a, a plan? And the answer from the partners was absolutely yes. And I'm sure it's the same thing um, is true in the cancer arena as well, because they felt that um, a plan provides a framework it, it, it helps us frame what we want to do. And we're all talking, you know, within that frame going forward, as opposed to all over the place. Do you think that there's that same sense in the, in the cancer arena as well? Definitely. I think you spoke very elegantly. It is the framework that is written and documented and, and a guideline that helps us go back and see where our efforts or productive, where they where they need more um, energy, and 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 also for us to point out what the burdens are and bring it to the attention of the general public as well as state level. Um, there can be a lot of uh, individual efforts that are not concerted, and then although they are very valuable, sometimes collective efforts lead to collective actions which are more impactful. So this helps um, identify what the framework is, but then also for individuals, like I shared, you know, they are able to use these as guidelines in their own uh, community partnerships, action groups to further and uh, their work and reduce the burden of cancer. So it's a, it's a nice um, a guideline, as I would say, yeah, yeah. for people to go to. So I agree, yeah, I think the framework is very necessary. Um, and it also helps, you know, everybody's so focused in their specific space. Clinicians are very focused on diagnosis and treatment. Um, and then uh, there's there's this financial legal companies that are focused very much on the financial legal part of it. Insurance clinical trials group focuses very much on making sure that, you know, state-of-the-art clinical therapeutics are available to the patients. So everybody can end up being kind of in their own very focused, silo is not the right word, but field. And yeah. I think this plan then kind of also connects the dots between all aspects of cancer from, uh, you know, prevention, detection to all the way to survivorship. And it's a composite picture so that not just one aspect of the disease gets more of the attention or effort. Clarence. Yes, Dr. Samia, once again, I, I know I, I asked you about the biggest challenges. Now I'm going to ask you uh, in this plan, and I know it doesn't end until 2025, but what are some of your some of your greatest successes? What do you what do you, what what really stands out for you as a success with this plan? No, like I said, a lot of it is the success we gauge our success as as enforcing or emboldening something through policy. Um, I think the biggest successes from what I see based on the evaluation, if you look database, is okay. we have um, really addressed the HPV vaccination issue. The Minnesota Commission on Cancer has presented to a lot of medical professionals on increasing HPV vaccinations. We've funded some stakeholder you know, advisory groups um, 
and trained young leaders on the information of HPV and really tried to bring awareness of this very preventable cancer uh, to a lot of areas. And um, I think we've seen a lot of effort and success database in, in uh, adoption of the vaccine in young, um, you know, preteen adolescents, uh, despite of a lot of hesitation um, in both males and females. So I think HPV cancer screening, vaccination and awareness of the HPV cancers has been a, a very successful uh, aspect of it. I also think our tobacco, uh, you know, tobacco use in general, we've presented several times and advocated for statewide legislation for raising the age of tobacco to 21, and that was passed into a law in 2020. Um, we also advocated to for our 2019 legislative session to ban e-cigarette use indoors. And so I think tobacco has always been uh, kind of like a favorite spot of the policy committee and also ours um, in, in general. But like I would say, um, the success has been weaving in health inequities as, as a premise in mm -hmm. every single objective. Um, we have come away from the not only focusing on the greatest good for the greatest number of all, but also for those that are not in the greatest number. And, and I think uh, that uh, just the, the understanding of health inequities and, and, and the you know, availability of clinical care as well as survivorship and how differently it impacts some communities versus the other and making sure that that's kept in mind I think that's been the biggest success is just increasing awareness and, and focus on health inequities in addition to overall cancer care. Thank you. So let, me, let, me, let me ask you, um, is there an entity that's responsible for uh, reporting out how things are going with the plan? Or was it just kind of a, a total partnership type of thing? You know, like there's some some plans where the Department of Health, for instance, is responsible for getting the measurement. Where are we with our screening levels or where are we with our you know, policy development or whatever? And then consequently then reporting out. Is there is like the Cancer Alliance responsible for that or is it like a shared ownership on everything? I think when it comes down to it, it's the Minnesota Department of Health. Mm -hmm. uh, that you know, is is the, the center point of receiving funding and reallocating funding for the work we do um, is is the is the one that sends these reports. But we definitely have uh, input on that, and we definitely review that. And we have a very we have an evaluation committee within our alliance as well, uh, where we have evaluation scientists that continuously review and evaluate on how we're doing in terms of, you know, indicators, the success, the effort put in, um, and the barriers addressed. And so your the answer is it's MDH, Minnesota Department of Health, that sends the progress reports on a regular yeah. basis. But definitely it's not something that we do just for reporting purposes. We constantly review our strategies and tactics and, and, and the efforts that have gone in and how much we've done. Yeah. So, you know, going forward, okay, because you are you are going forward in the development of a plan. These plans take a while to, to develop, for sure. Um, 
if you're seated at the table for the development of the the next plan and you were you're you were kind of heading up the initiative where would you start okay would you start on the existing plan that we have and where we've been or you know, a tabla rasa, clean the slate and let's get a new plan going with some different exciting things in it. Tell me maybe where your head is at with regards to that. And then maybe your assessment on where the Minnesota Cancer Alliance is on the development of a new plan. So the, the plan, uh, is, the leadership team for the plan is already in place and they've done a lot of great work already. Um, okay. Heather Keene is leading mm -hmm. the actual plan team, formed an advisory team. Um, and what we have done is we've really used, we've gone within our alliance and used the equity portion to inform us on the cancer health, through the Cancer Health Equity Network, which is again, one of the um, networks within the alliance that focuses on health equity. We have brought the policy committee in, uh, the evaluation committee in, and then we have uh, the community listening sessions that we have started with our partners. We had a summit uh, not too long ago where we did some listening sessions to understand the burden. We are looking at the Minnesota Cancer Reporting Systems to see what our current burden is. Um, and then also the Commission on Cancer Network to, for the practice aspect of it. So. Um, we are looking at the playbook from other cancer plans that we feel have similar burdens and dynamics as the state of Minnesota. We are looking at the last plan as, as really uh, some of the things that were very successful in establishing that plan, the lessons from that playbook. Um, but like I said, we are using a multi-pronged approach with equity, policy, evaluation, community data and practice to make sure that um, we form this plan. Um, so although it will be a similar framework, I think it will be very current and informed based on the recent uh, concerns and burdens of cancer and making sure that every objective has health equity embedded, like I said, to eliminate health equity. Um, and the main goals will be still around etiology, prevention, detection, treatment, survivorship. That's, yeah. that's the general yeah. spectrum that we followed um, over the years, and that's what most cancer plans, as well as the National Cancer Institute, follows um, to make sure that you know one of the one of the you know it's very sometimes celebrities bring a lot of attention to one aspect of prevention and detection, and they, they become the, the highlight of the whole work. Um, but we want to make sure that all the entire spectrum is addressed. So. So yes, using the playbook from the last cancer plan, but then also using current data burden and, and input from the communities to understand what we should do next. Yeah, yeah. So let's go full circle here. Um, we started out by, by saying that um, cancer is the leading cause of, of death in um, Minnesota. And um, every year, close to 30,000 Minnesotans are diagnosed with cancer, okay? For, just for our listening audience, um, 
in Minnesota, do you have a handle on what's the most prevalent cancer that that we're dealing with? I think, again, you know, I would hate to say that prevalence is so dependent on health disparities, you know, what might be. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I would alienate some if I said that, for instance, gallbladder cancer is, is a real concern in Native communities, but doesn't even come in the top five overall yeah. in the numbers. But I would say the 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 most preventable and the most, you know, the most um, addressed are the colorectal cancer. Um the breast cancer, the prostate, you know, those are the ones. Um, then there's also pancreatic cancer that has yeah. very high um, mortality rates. So Correct. Yeah. there's the incidence rate, the mortality rate. Uh, so there's a whole balance of that. Um, and, and really it's through the lens that you're looking at. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to pick or bring attention to a favorite cancer, but in yeah. general, um, I yeah. would say that there's the incidences and then there's the the treatments and then there's the mortality and the most commonly discussed ones are colorectal breast prostate yeah um, yeah and 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 so some of these are early detection have early detection and the earlier you diagnose the the more the better the prognosis yeah yeah final comments Clarence well I just want to say uh, Dr Samir I thank you for for the conversation I mean there is so much that um, there's so much that uh, we need to learn more about. I mean, and, and I think that one of the uh, important things for us is having people like you who can come on and, and to help us understand more clearly. And also for us to better understand the community's uh, impact, but also to talk about also how the community can be more engaged. And so we need to, to make sure that the community is engaged in this conversation as well. And so I just want to thank you once again. And uh, uh, I'll turn it back to you, Stan. And and I thank you as well for for your leadership on 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 this. Um, I think it's important for the community to know that we have good, trusted, professional leaders that are trying to really, really make a difference in in this arena. So many thanks to you and your and your insights into the uh, this plan and the future plan. For our listening audience, um, we will have a lot of information available on our website. And, you know, Dr. Sumeda, if there's other information that you want to share with regards to that, we can also get that on our website. Might there be? Sure. Um, we have the plan listed on our website. I can share that. And we are also now constantly updating um, how our new plan is evolving main page so minnesotacancerline.org i'm happy to send the website to you uh, i also want to say i'm really honored and thankful to be part of this discussion the alliance means a lot to me i've been part of the alliance for over a decade and um, the fact that we were able to bring some attention to it this morning means a lot to me yeah well thank you you're a great you're a great spokesman for it so thank you, thank you. So going forward, our next show for Health Chatter, we are going to be addressing the issue of grief. So Clarence and I are going to look at that, that topic. And there's a lot of things that we're grieving about individually, um, as a nation and, and as a world 
that certainly affects our health. So with that, everybody keep health chatting away. Mm-hmm.